somebody I'm sure had an idea for Uber before Uber got built. Somebody had an idea for Belay before Belay got built. But there are only a few people who actually take and, and take the stand and become intentional about it so much that they take action. So as a younger self, I was like, oh, I'm going to try this and this and this and this. And I wish it, you know, just would have been more intentional early on. The more I am now, the better it gets. Welcome to One Next Step, the most practical business podcast in the world, helping you get more done, grow your business, and lead your team with confidence with tips and tools you didn't get in business school. Here are your hosts, Trisha Shortino and Lisa Zeveld. Welcome to the One Next Step. I'm Amy Appleton, Director of Marketing at Belay. Trisha and LZ have the week off, and I'm excited to jump in to the host seat and talk about a topic that's incredibly important to every leader. What questions should we be asking to grow our organization? Today, we're joined by our good friend, Sandram Vadre, co-founder and chief evangelist of Terminus, a leader in account-based marketing. Sandram is an international speaker and host of the top 50 business podcast, Flip My Funnel. If you've listened to our podcast since the beginning, you might remember him from one of our earlier episodes last year. So here's a chance where he's going to talk to us about go-to-market strategies, which is about navigating the unique challenges of launching new products and services. And he's going to share four questions that can help improve how you launch new products, reach ideal customers, and create a competitive advantage. Sangram has a very unique view on this that every leader and marketer needs to hear. So with that, let's get started with Sangram Vadre. Welcome back. Yeah, thank you for having me. And I'm so excited to share about this because quite frankly, this is my personal journey of navigating through when I was at Pardot, going through the acquisition of that, staying at Salesforce for a couple of years and seeing how a big company like that goes through it. Since then, starting Terminus, which is now about 50 million in revenue and seeing going through that again uh, in the process, I feel like I've seen the zero to 100 million a number of times now. And I've recognized that it is not an easy path uh, and it is a path that uh, requires a lot of tenacity and learning. So I'm hoping this book can help people uh, navigate uh, where and how to go. Well, I have read it and I can guarantee you that the framework, everybody likes a nice framework. So (laughs) it is, I mean, it is, it was very, very helpful even for our own organization. But before we jump into all of the four questions and all the goodness, I do want to start with just a fun a fun question, a softball question. Sure thing. So if you could give yourself, your younger self, one piece of advice, what would it be? That's a good one. Um, I, I have been saying this now a lot to myself and uh, to, to people that I mentor and the founders that I uh, consult with and even the, the, the boards that I'm on right now is this idea of just being intentional as opposed to being brilliant. And there's a nuance to that. And what I'm realizing more now is that being intentional is way more important than being brilliant. And the reason is we we walk in, we think we are the brilliant, we are the smart one, and we always want our ideas to thrive and go. And the reality is that no matter how many amazing, brilliant, somebody I'm sure had an idea for Uber before Uber got right. built, somebody had an idea for Belay before Belay got built. Uh, but there are only a few people who actually take and, and take the stand and become intentional about it so much that they take action. And only those things that you're intentional about in life actually have 
meaning and of value that is created as a result of it. So as a younger self, I was like, oh, I'm going to try this and this and this and this. <laughs> and I wish it, you know, just would have been more intentional early on. The more I am now, the better it gets. So it's that the focus is what I hear you say. Yeah, the focus. Yeah, the focus, finding your lane of genius, whatever that is, everyone has that. And if you don't know, ask your spouse if you're married he will, or he will tell you. If you don't, you're not married, ask the four friends that are around you. They will tell you you suck at that and you're good at that. And I think that's how you find it. <laughs> no, that is great. That is a great piece of advice uh, for all of us, I think, regardless, regardless of age. Um, yep. So thank you for sharing that. I do want to jump in. Like I said, this this book was great. So I do want to jump into it. So the book, again, is called Move, the four-question go-to-market framework. So for our listeners who might actually not be familiar with what go-to-market strategy is, can you can you give an explanation of that? Oh, sure thing. Quite frankly, I thought I understood go-to-market, Amy, because I've been part of, as I said, part of and through the acquisition of Salesforce and building a company called Terminus and others, but I was wrong. In this process, in the last two years, I the research that has gone into book has been incredible. Um, we have, uh, as you have seen on the book and the quotes from the people, we have interviewed and spent time with Jeffrey Moore, who wrote Crossing the Chasm, which is a classic mm -hmm. in the, the marketing and mm -hmm. uh, company uh, CEO space. Um, we have talked to Brian Halligan, who was the CEO of HubSpot, recently became the chairman. Uh, Scott Dorsey, who sold his exact target company for $2.5 to Mar to Salesforce to tons of VCs like Mark Roberts, who's now a Harvard Business School professor, and Kelly Ford, who had 200 plus companies that they have exited. So I'm just, these are some of the very few people that we have talked to in this conversation. What's interesting is the research showed that people can go and do a research on this today. You can go and look for SaaS value of death, just type in SaaS value of death. And what you would find is, then right after a company hits about 10 million in revenue, Amy, you would think that, well, by 10 million, you kind of are good, right? Like right, that's a right. good number. Right after 10 million, what's found in the research by McKenzie and all these other SASTERs and others is that after 10 million, you enter what is called as the value of death, meaning very few companies actually get from 10 million to 50 million. As a matter of fact, the number is like 0.04%. Wow, that is... Yeah, that's actually shocked. I'm actually shocked. It's that it's that. Small. Yeah, yeah, it is that small. And the McKinsey study specifically alluded to that. It's not that your vision all of a sudden became outdated and, and you need a new vision. It's typically not. The vision continues to be good and true. It's not that you can't hire great people. You know, like companies evolve. You want to hire different people of different skill set. But it's not like you stop hiring great people. You don't know how to do that. It's because your go to market hasn't evolved. Uh, your product evolves, everything evolves, but you go to market for some reason, companies don't evolve that because they don't think about that as a, as a thing that they need to almost look at it like a product in and itself and iterate on it over and over again. So this book is really uh, recognizing how important go-to-market is. So the number one reason why companies fail is because their go-to-market is not evolving. And that's really why we wrote this book. What's the difference between go to market and what we would consider all just hey hey marketing traditional marketing hey marketing there's a new product 
go do your thing and let's grow this company some more. Like what's the difference there between the go-to-market and traditional marketing? Oh my God. I'm so, so glad you asked that question, Amy, because I'm a marketer uh, by -hmm. trade. So I always thought it is about marketing and it is because it has go-to-market. And typically (laughs) we use that phrase when you, as you said, when we're launching a new product or we're having a new sales promo or we are launching or creating a new market uh, somewhere and opening an office in let's say EMEA or wherever. And that's really when you think about go-to-market. But what I've found and in this research is that that's just not true. That is a small mm-hmm. slice of what go-to-market is. So, for example, when I was talking to Scott Dorsey as part of the research, he's like, you know, what kept you up at night when you were you were going through the, the, the building of this, you know, multi-billion dollar company? And he said, what, what kept me up at night was this challenge of how do we expand our business um, do I do I go ahead and create a partner program and approve that that I'm like by some of some of the folks in the company are saying, or do we actually hire more salespeople because that's what mm-hmm. my head of sales is right. saying, or my marketing team is wanting to build a bigger brand and do a bigger customer event and should I so where should I invest my time? Where should I invest my team uh, time and money? And what I found, Amy, in the in the research is that first of all, the biggest aha moment was who owns go to market. And every CEO I talked to said they own it. Hmm. They own it. It's not marketing. It's not sales. It's not customers because it's literally saying they own it. And I'm like, and I like, again, in a conversation like Brian Halligan is like, you are running a public, you're a public company CEO. You have hundred thousand plus customers. If you're saying that the buck stops at you, I get it from that perspective as a CEO, but you're saying you own it. Amy, here, his response, his response was only three things I focus on I own. One is the vision for the company. I have to constantly iterate where we're going, where we're going, and think about it to the investors, the customers, to the employees. I got to be the most passionate person out there. Mm-hmm. Number two, culture. If we can't have a great culture, we will never have great people, and that's just not going to help anybody. And number three, the unsexy part of it, of the business, is go to market. He says, <laughs> Who's, who else can make decisions of opening a new market versus acquiring a company versus partnering in an ecosystem versus creating an OEM model? Nobody in the company. So, so really, I think the sneak peek into that is the ownership was, I thought for sure, as you said, a CMO might be the one owning it, but that's like a sliver of it. It's, it's not even the close. The CEO is actually who owns it which makes it even bigger a reason why this is such an important topic. As you have shared that message about the book, do you get this look of shock and awe from the audiences? All the time. Now, <laughs> I literally walked in. That's why I'm wearing a shirt right now. I don't know if it's a video. I don't know if people can see this or not, but I just came back from Tech Village with a, a ton of founders mm-hmm. and sharing the book and the stories, all these CEOs and founders. And I'm telling you over and over again, people are always like wondering, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, it's like that aha moment. It's almost you could see people's like, you know, wheels are turning yeah. and, and thinking about like, oh, you know, you're right. The CMO might like, for example, the worst question ever created in the history for a CEO is to ask the marketing team, hey, if I give you a dollar more, what would you do? 
Well, guess what? The marketing team is going to say, well, I'm going to create more content or I'm going to hire a designer or I'm going to run more ads, something like that. If you ask the same exact question to a sales leader, they're going to say, oh, I'm going to hire a salesperson, right? I'm going to change the comp plan or whatever. Mm -hmm. Product person, product features, engineer. But if you actually are thinking about where do you spend the money, these are silos out there at the end of the day. It is not something that they could. So in the book, we talk about a new role that has emerged. And I'm, not, I'm sure you've heard about it and maybe seen in Belay and other organizations. It's called the head of revenue operations. Mm-hmm. Yes. A person who reports pretty much directly either into the CEO or the CFO and helping them figure out where should you invest the next dollar? So there's a lot of new learnings, but there's a lot of like, oh my God, yeah, the CEO <laughs> owns it because they're the only one who can make those decisions. It makes perfect sense when you read the book. And I think, yeah. you know, and, and the framework there. So, which really wants me to just kind of tee up because what are the four questions? Well, before the four questions, um, you know, I think in the book, you probably saw there was like another framework. So it's a bonus framework, like two frameworks for people to to go through. And, and I want to share real quickly about that before we go to the four questions. Yeah, absolutely. And the reason I want to share that, Amy, is because what I've realized, we almost wrote eight, almost 85, 90% of the book without what I'm about to share the frame with the other framework, the three-piece framework. And when we went through this framework of move. Uh, and everything we realized, and we were resharing this with all these CEOs. They're like, "This is awesome! Now it, I, this is this is going to help me work with my team." But I, as a CEO, need to know what stage of the business I'm in and be able to articulate that. And that mm-hmm. led to the genesis of these three P's framework. That so, so we literally reorganized the book and started with it. Oh, you did? Uh, yeah. <laughs> It was, it was, it was unnecessary. Like it was so crazy amount. We're like, we're ready, we're ready, and we had to like, like go ahead and re, re, reimagine this. But it was very important because your CEO of your organization is going to need the answer to this question, and it, it would have been just an operating manual for the uh, direct team, but it also needed it for the CEO. So the three P's, real quick, are problem market fit, product market fit, and platform market fit. Those are three. Problem market fit, meaning you're trying to figure out my problem. Uh, is the problem big enough? And is the market ready to pay? Problem market fit. Product market fit means you are scaling your business and moving it forward. Um, you know a, a repeatable, scalable segment that you can go into. It makes sense for you. You can over and over do it again. You're good at it. And then platform market fit is when the market pushes you into a platform, meaning the customers start expecting more from you. So you have to design and create more services or new products or new offerings for it. Um, All of a sudden, the market has new competitors. So you need to differentiate even further. So you need to create and move from a single product solution to a platform solution, which has multiple products. And hopefully the market will expand too, because now you can tailor to multiple personas. So your market in a platform market fit would expand. And the classic example is, you know, HubSpot, like they started mm-hmm. with uh, marketing and SMB and they start, launched into marketing automation, made their, that as their product market fit. And then platform market fit right now, they serve to marketers, salespeople, like right. all the, the flywheel they talk about, customer success included. But you can think even from a B2C example, think about maybe Morning Brew or Skim. Mm-hmm. If anybody's, you know, getting those emails, they started with focusing on one newsletter one for one type of persona, which was millennials. 
and they nailed that product, got product market fed. And now they have multiple newsletters for multiple different types of uh, retail newsletter, marketing newsletter, uh, because they, they earned the right to become a platform. Even since we're on a podcast, think about Joe Rogan. Um, he started with a podcast answering questions on Twitter nailed it, became the top podcaster in the world and, and using, again, a product market fit, just one product, nailed podcasting, and now he has a $100 million deal with Spotify to do it as a, as a platform now. So the three Ps are so important for you to recognize what stage of the business you're in. And what's beautiful about the questions I'm about to share on the move, the four questions, is that the questions remain the same, but the answers will change based on the stage of the business you're in. Well, uh, we're all bated breath probably to get the four questions, but I would agree that yeah. uh, that you definitely, if you go through whatever phase that that is in, then when you look at those four questions, I think reading the book, it made then perfect sense where you need to identify where you are in that in order yep. to answer the questions correctly. Right. So why don't you share what the four questions are? Absolutely. So we started with 50 questions when we initially started the research. <laughs> I'm glad there's not 50 questions. <laughs> <laughs> so I am too, Amy. I'm too I'm glad we were able to get it down to four. And, and it's, it's for, that's where the MOVE acronym comes from. It is market operations, velocity, and expansions. So market bidding being who should you market to, operations bidding, what do you need to operate effectively? That's where revenue operations mm -hmm. really comes in place. Velocity is like, how, how, how can we scale our business? How fast can we grow? That's the velocity question every business leader typically asks. And the expansion question, which is what Scott Dorsey was asking, I was sharing earlier, which is where can we grow the most? Is it going to be in a regional? Is it going to be in a new market? Is it going to be uh, a new agency model to supplement with it? Is it going to be a new acquisition? Like, where are we going to grow most? So those are the four questions. And okay. as I said, what's interesting is it was so good. I'm so grateful that the questions didn't change when the answers would change. So the book really says, if you're a problem market fit company, the questions will still be the same, but in the problem market fit, uh, as an example, you might be only thinking about TAM, your total addressable market in, a, in that stage right. as part of your market. Uh, but as you move into a product market fit, now you're looking at segments, a specific segment that you can repeat and scale. And then as you move into platform market fit, now it might become customer cohorts because your customers, you have so many customers now that you're now looking at within your customer base, which are our best customers and, and go and, and focus on that. So the, the questions remain the same, but the answers do change. That is, um, like I said, that was probably the biggest aha reading the book that, that it was like they were not going to change regardless of where you were in each one of those yeah. stages. So for the person who, like the small business owner and they're just starting out. So, and they're like, this is, this is great. Like what would be like the first step or the one next step that they would yeah. take in order to just kind of think through how this is applicable to them? Well, I'll tell you what happened just last week, Amy. We were having this conversation, me and my co-author were having this conversation with a bunch of uh, portfolio CEOs of early stage companies, uh, small companies, small, small business companies. And what was interesting is like even half of them, almost half of them, I would say, were 
saying that, well, we think we are in a problem market fit. When we ask the question, what stage of the business do you think you are? Right. And when we ask like, well, okay, you think you're in a product market fit. What do you think your team will say? And <laughs> some of them immediately, well, I think they probably think we are in problem market fit. I'm like, wait, wait, wait. That's the problem. If you and your team are not on the same page, your go-to-market is broken. And that's a bigger problem for you. So what I would say is the next step for everybody is to like one in their own self-assessment, think about where you are. And then without pushing it, ask your team, your executive team to sit down and say, all right, let's just go through the assessment of our own thing. And on, on the movebook.com, we have a lot of scorecards and templates that people can download. So just go to the movebook.com and you'll see it. Uh, but you can literally, if you can get your executive team to sit around the table and ask these questions and say, what stage of the business are we right now? And if you can get alignment on it, you're actually a business that can transform to the next stage. But if you can get alignment at that, you got problems that you need to face and focus on and address right now. That is fantastic. That's a fantastic piece of advice there. And actually, I think we will stop at that wonderful one next step piece of advice. But if you wouldn't mind to stick around, I do have a bonus question. Sure thing. That I would like to ask you. Okay, fantastic. Well, the conversation has been so good so far. It's filled with a lot of great information. So I'm excited for Sangram to come back and do one more question. So you won't want to miss it. To hear that clip, subscribe to our email list and we'll send you a link to our bonus content or visit onenextsteppodcast.com where you can find a link in our show notes. That was such a great conversation with Sangram today. And I think for me, the biggest takeaway from our conversation was um, actually who needs to be involved in the go-to-market strategy. He kind of debunked the myth that it might sit in whether sales or marketing, um, but actually that it sits with the executive team and the CEO, sales, marketing, and client success all needed to be involved. I think that was the absolute biggest takeaway for me today from talking about the book, Move, the four question go to market framework. And as always, we have a download for you so you can take your one next step. This week's download is to go to the website that Sangra mentioned, themovebook.com. That's themovebook.com where you can access all sorts of resources for the framework, the questions, um, and other assets from the book. So thank you for joining us. Until next time, lead wisely and lead well. Next week on the podcast, we're looking back at some of our most downloaded episodes of 2021. You'll hear from Ian Morgan Cron, best-selling author of the popular Enneagram book, The Road Back to You, Krisha Bueller, Belay's VP of Human Resources, our fabulous executive assistants, Kate Sautel and Melissa Lawrence. And of course, as always, Trisha and I will be chiming in with our thoughts as well. Here's a snippet of what you'll hear. First, I will go down by saying I am a control freak. So this is a good lesson for everybody <laughs> because I do not like giving up control. However, if I'm going to be a healthy and thriving leader, I must. So all of you out there listening who think you cannot do this, you can. I promise if I can do it, you can do it. Thanks for listening to One Next Step. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify. 
Then join us next time for more practical business tips and tools to help you get more done, grow your business, and lead your team with confidence. For more episodes, show notes, and helpful resources, visit onenextsteppodcast.com.